comes out on LeBron. Now they switch and here's Pierce again. A Smith screen. Posey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no regard for human life. The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win it! They win it! the Cleveland Cavaliers! Welcome into episode three of the Flow House Hoops podcast. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Adam Housen, joined by my partner, Miguel Flores. Uh, we got a special guest with us today, uh, my buddy Kevin Cottrell, senior researcher at NBA TV. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, man. We really appreciate it. No, I had nothing but time on my hand, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin, uh, it's nice to meet you, man. Uh, Adam's talked very highly about you. It's great, great to have you on the podcast. First up, you know, how are you holding up right now? I mean, everyone is, is stuck in their houses. There's no sports, so it's not like yeah. we get to just hunker in and, you know, watch a ton of sports. So what have you been doing to pass the time, man? I say the first week, uh, the first week down was kind of probably tough because we weren't doing much. You know, nobody knew the direction. Nobody knew exactly what being away from studio meant for us, for any of us. Um, so that's probably when I did some binge watching, you know, some Netflix. I've been holding up pretty well, to be honest with you. And now we're kind of getting back into creating content, you know, to make available for the fans. So even though I'm home, the weather's good. I got food in the house. So it's been all right. <laughs> it's kind of like that uh, that little short uh, break you get when the finals ends, I guess, right, in a way. Exactly. But you're getting ready for summer league and everything like that. But, uh, yeah, man, so I guess we kind of just wanted to start off by asking you, there's a lot of rumors flying around, as rumors always do in the NBA. Uh, but this time it's, a you know, speculation about – uh, what might happen. Um, I guess we just want to ask you, what would you hope to see happen? I know there have been rumors about, you know, trimming the rest of the regular season and yeah. doing an isolated location. What would be your, what would be your hope? Well, you know, there's, there's a ton of scenarios and rumors thrown out there. I've I tried my best to just try to stay away from it and stay in the moment just so you don't get caught up in things one way or the other. Um, but I, I know the people that's getting paid to make those decisions, they're speaking with the proper experts. So personally, I just hope everybody would just stay at home so we can flatten the curve as quick as possible so the best-case scenarios can actually fall into place. I mean, I know everybody wants hoops back. We all do, but we also want, you know, people to be healthy and be able to actually get out and enjoy basketball again. Um, the weather's starting to break everywhere. So, you know, in, in my mind, the, the quicker everybody can just – Stay in so we can flatten the curve. The quicker we can get back to basketball, everybody can be happy. Yeah, man, I feel bad for, you know, all these players and everything that's gone on. You know, you see a lot of the college seniors that were got the tournament taken away from them. Yeah. Um, and that's that's important for them. We, I mean, Adam and I were just talking about them, so I really feel bad about them because you see so many guys in March Madness who aren't really on NBA scouts' radars who make a name for themselves yep. in the tournament, and they end up getting drafted to a team because of the tournament. So that's one of the – places where I really, you know, felt really bad for a lot of those college kids, didn't no, you? you? Yeah, no, you actually made a good point. If you think about, like, a guy like Derrick Rose, he wasn't the number one pick prior to the, um, the tournament. You know, that was Michael Beasley's slot all the way. He takes the team to the national championship. Now he, he jumps the guy. Dwayne Wade's another guy. Dwayne Wade's a future Hall of Famer. Dwayne Wade had to make an incredible final four run with Marquette. Had he not had March Madness, maybe he's in the bottom half for the draft instead of, you know, top five, top ten. We end up falling. So March Madness is, is you know, it's, it's important for a lot of people, even the guys that goes in the second round. Maybe they were outside of the draft, and now they actually get their name called because of the run. So it actually make an excellent point. They won't ever get that chance uh, <clears throat> not only to showcase those talents, but they may not have a chance to hop on a summer league roster this summer 
and actually get to um, also make that case for themselves to be on somebody's roster. Yeah, that's a great point too. The guys that are undrafted, if you know the season does end up running, you know, long and through the summer, those guys might not get a chance to showcase themselves. It does seem like more times than not, guys play themselves in the money in the tournament rather than lose themselves money. Uh, I think you see that happen more often than not. But um, Miguel and I were kind of having this conversation. We obviously don't know. We're not going to speculate when the season's going to return or in, in, in how it's going to return. Um, if it does and there happens to be some sort of abbreviated postseason or three or five game series or even in the craziest scenario, um, like a, a single elimination playoff type thing, do you think that this season is going to have an asterisk next to it when we look back? You're the, re you're the ultimate researcher. I mean, 20, you 30 know, years from now, you tell us. I'll say this. It's going to work two ways. Um, you can look at the record books, especially for the postseason, right? Let's say somebody like – I don't know, uh, some sharpshooter. Let's say Danny Green just having a great playoff series, you know, with the Lakers. And if you shorten it, now he doesn't have the chance to break a record he set, you know, in the finals with the Spurs with the most threes in the series. But we also adjust, you know, just from a research standpoint, a lot of times records are in a four-game series, five, six, seven, and we'll adjust sure. the records to how many games they're played. But I honestly feel like, you know, the only person, that a shortened postseason can actually hurt is LeBron, mainly because LeBron's the only person who's, you know, out, out here really fighting for his legacy. Not saying fighting for his legacy. I say playing for his legacy. He's cemented. He's yeah. always fighting for it, it seems like, but, though. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm sure there's always another feat, whether we something we make up or something he's aware of that he can chase in the postseason that maybe those fewer games make it harder for him to get because the older he gets, you know, the next game is never promised for a guy like him. Um, but I, I, I think – you know, we thought about this at the first lockout in that 99 season when it was only 50 games, and Phil Jackson kind of threw it out there like, oh, it should be an asterisk on the Spurs. But do we really can't say that? You know, Tim Duncan. <laughs> I've never heard it. Of, yeah, yeah, Tim Duncan gets counted for five rings, and, you know, it is what it is. Popovich considered one of the greatest coaches of all time, and that's the first chip he ever won. Right. Uh, obviously, they had a chance to back it up four more times, um, and that plays a role in it. But I will say this, and I don't want to get ahead uh, of where we're at, but maybe people will react depending on the outcome. Right. Yeah. You know, the outcome can dictate how people react to uh, the shortened postseason or whatever. You got to figure that it's going to help a lot of teams, like regardless if we do pick it up, it's going to help teams like the Lakers and the Bucks who have great chemistry and maybe hurt teams like the Clips who they have talent, they have championship level roster, but you could see throughout the season, even before all this uh, pandemic and the suspension of the season started, they didn't have the chemistry going just yet, but they yep. still had at that moment, they still had about three weeks left of full regular season yep. games to get it going. And they were all starting to get healthy again. And if you kind of throw them in, in the regular seat or in the postseason right away like that, that could hurt teams like like those the clips, maybe possible upsets over there, maybe the Rockets who are still trying to figure that that system yeah. out. Um, so that's one way where that could affect. But you brought up a great point with LeBron. I mean, out of all the players in the NBA who still wants to this season to continue, it's gotta be him, right? It's gotta be LeBron. It's gotta be like LeBron. If I'm LeBron, I'm doing whatever it, it takes behind the scenes as the VP. A player association to be like, yo, what does it take? Because tomorrow literally is never promised. And to go back on what you were saying, I would actually worry about the Lakers and the Bucks. If you look at the Lakers, LeBron isn't getting any younger. 
So every day off the court away from the game, it could possibly just mess his rhythm up. Just yeah. being a guy that's used to always going and going and going and now being forced to stop. And then if you look down the line at his roster, the second best player, he doesn't have that much postseason experience. So now you're talking about making a deep run, you know, um, that could be an effect. The Bucks, on the other hand, they've dealt with a lot of injuries here and there, uh, you know, coming in and out of their lineup. And then now you're just looking at Giannis once again to be that person to carry. I think a team like Houston, if I'm Houston, I feel like we got a better chance now. Really? You got two dogs who nothing about them tells me that it would take weeks to get ready. Russell Westbrook, you think it's going to take him weeks? <laughs> the way he yep. plays. James Harden kind of plays at his own pace, kind of controls the flow of the game. But if you shorten a postseason – you give two dynamic players like that the opportunity to just play freely, I think it would actually take teams more time to adjust to their style of basketball than the other way around. Let's talk about that. I mean, we're talking about the, cre- yeah. the cream of the crop right there with the Bucks and the Lakers, and, and I know you just mentioned Houston. Everybody's kind of seeing this is a three-team race between the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks. Do you think – is that the way you see it, or is there anybody that has an outside fighting chance besides those three teams? That's honestly the way I see it. I, I would I would like to throw Boston in there. Um, but it's just as much as I love Kimball Walker, no slight to Kimball Walker, it's just something about Kimball being the lead guard that I, I'm still not totally in love with when it comes down to things. Because I just think, you know, playoffs are all about matchups, and I just think people can expose that matchup. And if arguably your best player, because he's the highest paid, becomes one of the biggest liabilities. And that's a problem. Philly, you would like to think, but what kind of shape is B going to be in when he comes back for this long layoff? Um, that can kind of hurt them. So for me, I would honestly say it's a three-team race. If I wanted to throw some surprises out there, yeah, I could see, you know, but I think that all depends on the layout of the postseason, how short right. the series would be. It's going to be pretty wild to see. I mean, and you brought up a great point with the Rockets, with Russ, because if we do, let's say they do get like a Vegas-style Right. It's almost kind of like a pickup games. That's not the game. That's not the team I want to face. No. I mean, you talk about Russ and Harden, who are just straight ballers all the time. In the summer, you see them always doing the pickup games. That's what they live for. And if you make the playoffs kind of like a pickup style where there's not going to be a lot of time, the game plan, like you said, it's not going to be full seven-game series that potentially is being discussed. And Houston, they built their roster towards boom or bust. Yeah. And and if they can hit threes – like, like they are built to do, they can really come out as a dark horse. Yeah, and I, say, I think Toronto's a team that's really being written off. I mean, they come back with a championship pedigree. I, in, my, in my heart of hearts, I knew Siakam was ready to make that leap. I thought he was ready to make it last year. Obviously, Kawhi was there, so it, it, it stunted his growth in a way. Um, but I just think the coaching, guys like Van Vliet, uh, and you got Ibaka and Gasol down low with that championship experience. Do you think that they're being written off, or, or what are they missing? Because I know you didn't mention them. No, you know, you make a great point, and I apologize to the Raptor fans out there that may hear this. The hey, we're all, we're all a little rusty, I guess. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they, they, they are being written off, but they've been written off since day one. I, was, I had the, uh, the opportunity of being in Toronto for opening night, and I just remember talking to a few people that was like, this team is going to surprise everybody. And I was kind of thinking, like, surprising how by being a bottom eight seed, you know, if they make it to the playoffs – to be expected but this team is actually in contending form Kawhi was a big um safety safety net for those guys and right. they kind of they kind of proved to to really be legit so to your point I think that's a team that could be a dark horse especially in that shortened format that we discussed right now be- before this whole pandemic kind of derailed the season before this happened what 
what were some teams that surprised you? Um, I know for one, one of the teams that really surprised me was Philly. I thought Philly was going to be that team with Kawhi going out west. I thought Philly was going to be the team to kind of take over the east. You know, I, obviously you still had Giannis, who yep. they, they were going to be a threat no matter what. But I thought Philly was going to be that top dog with Embiid. I thought Ben Simmons would take a step. I thought uh, Joel would finally make it his conference almost because he's such a dominant force when he's all full gear. Yeah, uh, and they were kind of the most disappointing team to me. Uh, who did you like, and then who also disappointed you before? Obviously, this all happened. I, I say the Miami Heat. They've been the biggest surprise to me in a good way. Um, when Jimmy Butler went down there, I thought, okay, that's a good move. That's actually solid, good coaching for Jimmy. Jimmy can go down there and be a guy. But I had no clue Bam Adebayo was going to turn into an All Star. I had no clue Duncan Robinson was going to turn into Ray Allen. Um, <laughs> I'm saying like. And then Kendrick Nunn, what a great pickup by Miami last year, getting him at the end of the season to have his rights going into this year. You can't, you just can't overstate how good that team has been. Jimmy Butler has not expected to have high usage like a Giannis has in Milwaukee, and it's made the team overall just that much better. So Miami is another team, you know, that we hadn't yet to mention that could be scary, depending on how things um, turn out. As for a disappointment, um, Philly is a big one. Portland is a Big, big disappointment. Yeah. I know they lost a lot of guys that play defense, but they still got two stars, you know, and, and they still got two guys. And to be honest, Whiteside has – he has ups and downs, but Whiteside has been better than, than I expected. I just can't figure out exactly why they could never string along a good couple weeks of basketball to get back on track. Do you yeah, think they're getting to the point where Dame or CJ, they eventually got to cut the court on one of them? Because they've been riding them for a while, and they know, still haven't been able to get success. A couple years ago, when the Bulls and Jimmy Butler seen the sour on each other, I thought the perfect trade would have been Jimmy for CJ. I thought it would have given um, Dame a more dynamic, offsetting one uh, A, one B kind of guy that can kind of defend the wing, but also take over scoring, help with defense, things like that. And then CJ would have been put more in the lead guard position, where I feel like he could thrive a lot more with the ball, playing pick and roll, and um, being able to build, you know, in the East. Um, so I don't know, you know, those guys love playing with each other. And I think that can never be uh, overstated because you look at history, a lot of guys like Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, you know, Penny and Shaq, guys didn't get to stay together long and they always end up regretting it. So I never like to say they should blow it up, but they definitely got to figure out quick, how can you build and win with these two guys? Yeah, they've been a massive disappointment for, for me this year too. I mean, getting into the Western Conference Finals last year, finally getting over that hump, you thought they really were going to turn the corner. I mean, at this point in time, they're not even in the playoff picture, which is surprising. But I think it goes to say there's a lot about chemistry and role players. I mean, they lost Aminu. Nurkic has obviously been out the whole season. Rodney Hood got hurt. I mean, you lose a guy like Harkless, Evan Turner, Seth Curry. I just think they tried to turn over the roster, um, and they lost too many of those quality role players. Another team for me that's been a big surprise has been Memphis. I think Taylor Jenkins has got to be up for consideration for coach of the year uh, behind John Moran and Jaron Jackson. This guy has blossomed way faster than I would have imagined. But, um, yeah, I'd say those are probably the two biggest surprises for me out west. I don't know about out east. When you're the Heat, you got players like, uh, you know, Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson playing on, on those small contracts. I mean, they, they've done a terrific job as well, too. So, one thing I had a question, obviously, researcher looking at stats and the way, how do you think people are going to vote uh, for the end of the year awards? Do you think they're just going to kind of take uh, what happened previously before everything and just base their votes off that? You know, you know what? 
I think that's one of the tough decisions that the league is going to have to make once they come to uh, a decision on what happens with the season. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, if you look, guys have played, the Bucks have played 65 games. Um, the, the Lakers kind of roughly right there. I think they're like 63. So it's kind of tough. You know, you got to figure out. They've played, you know, the last time we had a, a lockout, quote, unquote, or short season, we had 66 games. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've played roughly about that amount where it's like, you know, it's a full season. Now, if they go to the playoffs, you know, I, um, I don't know how they're going to do how to do it. I think it's a tough job for voters. I don't think voters are going to get what happened, you know, over the course of uh, the three quarters of the season that's been played. Um, but I do think – Depending on the outcome, you'll have guys that'll be a little upset because they felt like, hey, you know, like like personally, MVP is what we always discuss. But right now, all three of us may name a different guy for six men of the year or a different yeah. guy for most improved. Right. You know, and coach of the year is another one. You know, how teams finish strong over the last 20 games, that could all play a role for voters. So I think it'd be a tougher job maybe on the voters to decide how they'll handle it. Um, if things didn't get back because, you know, that's a lot of power for those voters to have, and they do take those things seriously. And that creates a lot of, uh, you know, creates a messy situation for a lot of incentives in guys' contracts, right? I mean, you got guys playing for an extra 100K here, 200K there, or if they make X amount of three-pointers or play X amount of minutes or or start an X amount of games. So I think that's going to open up a whole different can of worms as well. So, but yeah, as far as just, like you mentioned, for MVP, I think we're all pretty much on the same page, but some of those lesser awards, uh, you know, those will be, you know, a little bit more difficult to yeah. determine. Kevin, I heard uh, you're a Bulls fan, just yeah. like myself. So, you know, obviously we got Adam, who's a West Coast guy with the Lakers. What's wrong with me, man? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, company, Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, man. It's been brutal. I, I always tell people this is the punishment we get for having the yeah. greatest player ever of all time. That's how um, but what? Just recapping this season from what you saw from the Bulls, from the outside looking in, I know you have to watch all the, the whole league. And, but, man, this was just such a, a disappointing season. To me, I thought this team, talent-wise, in the way the roster was set up, I thought they had an outside shot to be like a 7-8 seed in the East. I think everybody thought that. I mean, if you talk around, talk to people around the league and they talk about disappointments, this is on the disappointment list. The Bulls are definitely on the disappointment list. You got a guy like Zach Levine coming into the season, you know, he's got all-star aspirations, right? You got an exciting young rookie who you expect, you know, give a scoring punch off the bench. When Ducardo's a year older, stronger. Larry Mark in a year's older, stronger. Otto Porter finished the season pretty well last year with shooting and playing defense on the wing. You know, they added a veteran like that each young. People thought, well, you know, would help beef up with the locker room. But for whatever reason, the Chicago Bulls just cannot shake the injury bug. I think it starts there. Um, I think it starts, you know, you know, like I said, with the injury bug, then a lack of experience. It's in like the team gets down on themselves very easily, you know, and they get up and the team kind of punches back. They just always folded like lawn chairs this year. And that's been a very big disappointing, you know, aspect of it. I also think, you know, the Bulls' biggest issue is probably coaching. At the end of the day, you have to be able to make a decision. If you see, that's fair. Okay, the team's coming in, they got all these playoff aspirations, and you see that it's not going that route, you got to be able to make a decision. When do I start developing my young guys? You know, when when is it a time to say, you know what, we can still make a push, but I need to get my young guys like a Kobe White. He needs to get more time. You know what I'm saying? So I just thought the Bulls, uh, you know, overall, they just did a bad job of managing the season throughout. They kind of just tried to stick with things the way it was going. And that's just not, that's just not, you know, how it's going to work. Daniel Gafford, 
come on, like, it took so long to get him in lineup. I remember talking to people, you know, around the city that covered the team. I was just so shocked about how the season began without him in the rotation. And it's just befuddling. And it's frustrating for fans, you know what I'm saying, because you just don't understand exactly what's going on in the true dynamics. But the Bulls, to me, should have been a 40-42 to 42 win team. That shouldn't have been too much to ask. Which which of those young guys? I know you touched on some of them. Which of those young guys do you foresee being part of the long term plan? Uh, do you think that you know? Is there a trade you see for this team? I know there's been a lot of rumors around. Uh, um, for the backup point guard, I'm blanking out his name. Uh, oh, Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn. But are there pieces that you want to keep, and are there are there guys that you would ship out? You know, the one thing I want to say. I know a lot of people have been down on Larry Marketing this year, and I just felt like. Larry was a guy that came, that came in with these high expectations, I'm sure, from himself. And he got injured pretty early, if I remember correctly. <clears throat> and then I just felt like, you know, when he did come back, the minutes just wasn't there for whatever reason. He started splitting minutes with, with so many guys, and it just became weird. I felt like they, the coaching staff, you know, failed Larry. I would love to see him get with a better coach and a better system and to be a, uh, a part of the future with Zach, you know, with Kobe. I think Chris Dunn needs a new change of scenery. And I think Dunn is one of those guys where it's just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't see myself in the plans. And so as a result, when he's on the court, he can kind of be up and down just depending on the day. Um, but I think it's tough. The Bulls just haven't figured out who are the guys to be around for whatever reason, whether it's been injury, inconsistency, you know, um, Kobe White just started to get in the lineup and then the season shuts down. What do you have, one game starting? Yeah, you know, one game. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those things where you never really even got to see. This is that time of year where you can really get to see where those guys have grown and what areas they, you know, they're strongest in, what area they need to work on. And so I think the Bulls is one of those teams because of this stoppage, you know, it can kind of – probably have hurt them moving forward because they didn't really get a true opportunity to evaluate the talent and to decide who do you want to build around. For me, I've seen every Bulls game all year, at least most of them. Um, and for me, with Laurie Markkinen, you saw in his rookie year the flashes of potential that he had. And, and you know, you had that dunk in Madison Square Garden uh, where he had that big game. He's He was considered, obviously, by some experts, you know, he was one of the steals of that draft. Yeah, um, and then year two, he started to elevate more. Obviously, he had a couple of injuries. But then I think in year three, uh, he had a coaching change and Boylan didn't know how to use him. I don't think, and you even heard in post-game interviews, you know, with Casey Johnson, Vincent Goodwill, you know, as they've talked with Lori and things going on, he even, Lori even said himself, they want me to pick and pop and just shoot. That's, that's all they want me to do. He's like, I can do more. I know I can do more, but I'm going to do what they ask of me. And that, that's where we're going to be at. And that right there is an indication of Lori's not happy with the way they're using him. And like you said, a smarter coach that knows how to use them, use them on the move, get them on the block, get them moving, flash into the middle. There's so many things that this guy showed flashes of doing. Yep. And it, it kind of similar to me with Jason Tatum of last year, where it wasn't necessarily a coaching thing. It was more of a chemistry thing with Kyrie and him, where Kyrie came in, kind of took things over uh, and kind of stopped that, all that potential we saw from Tatum in his rookie year. And we saw Kyrie kind of stifle that. But then once Kyrie was gone and then Jason Tatum got more room to grow, he picked it back up and we're seeing him elevate to almost get into that superstar type level in year three. And I think Laurie has that in him. I just think, like you said, he needs that coach to kind of bring it out in him. 
Adam, I know you're a LeBron guy. What what made me fall in love with Larry? Because I didn't I didn't follow him in Arizona. His rookie season when LeBron was in Cleveland, I think some of his best games were actually when he was matched up against LeBron. Yeah. So a lot of times the young guys, you judge them by okay when they get on the court with the big name guys, how do they accept the challenge? Do they take it head on or do they fold? Um, and I just thought it was just one of those things where they definitely. I don't, I don't know the word to use. They did wrong by him this year. But I just don't feel like he had enough minutes and opportunities to kind of get himself out of that corner, to kind of take the lumps and overcome it. It was just like, oh, he's struggling for a stretch? Let's put him and sit him down. Larry Marketing, to me, he's the second best player on the team. Yeah. And I don't even think it's close. Um, and I just think they just got to do a better job to figure out how to get a dynamic four man like him to be better involved with the team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of the injuries and the coaching. Uh, I think he's definitely got it, but it kind of seems like right when he always gets it going, he gets injured, and then when he comes back, he's inconsistent. So I hope he can get on the, on the, on the right page. I just wanted to talk, if you were going to take over, hypothetical, if you were going to take over the Bulls as the GM tomorrow, what would be like the first thing you would do to kind of fix the organization? Because to me, I think it's a lack of innovation in the front office. It seems like the Bulls are a little bit old-fashioned the way they do things. Uh, Reinsdorf, I know with the White Sox and baseball, he's, Kenny Williams has had a position, it seems like, forever. They've had the same pitching coach for 20 years. I think it's like a loyalty thing where Reinsdorf kind of gets these guys in their spots and their buddy-buddy, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to, you know, change anything up. But is there anybody that's maybe waiting in the wings that's a young, analytical mind that the Bulls might have? Or do you maybe have any – I know Miguel's got some juicy ideas for some GM hires, but – where, where would you kind of take this thing if you took over tomorrow? The Bulls, I think the first thing you have to do is say, okay, who are your best players? They're going to be Zach Levine and Larry Markin, right? So you want to pluck, I think, person, I would want to pluck a guy away from a front office that has dynamic wings like those guys and has learned, you know, to build around those type of players. Um, obviously, it's not that many guys out there that I, like a Larry. But my point is I, I would go try to find an organization like I've seen the model that they've built, and I would just try to see, you know, is there somebody that's been like second in command that I could kind of go with and pluck, but I would definitely uh, start a whole new front office. Because so as a model, as a, like a, a restructuring with like new positions yeah. and new minds? Yeah, I would definitely try to find a president of basketball. Somebody could just come in and put their own team together all the way down to the coach. So, you know, who's going to be your GM? You know, who's going to be ahead of scouting department? You know, if you want to be an analytic department, that's who. And then down to um, your coach. And you need to be like-minded. If everybody's not going to be on the same accord, it'll never work. Like, seriously, if we look at the organizations that's done the best, they've basically been one voice. No matter who's speaking from player to president, the, the, the message is clear and it's the same. Uh, it's the same way. Um, I would not do the whole give the coach the same power that never works you know we nope. see how that goes we definitely see how that works but I would definitely get somebody that can make a culture change a culture change to me um definitely has to be with like finding talent scouting and then trusting a coach that's going to take it and, and and get the, the product right on the floor but th that's the problem I don't know if the culture can ever change as long as Ryan's doors at, at the top and that's what I see as being the biggest problem <laughs> I mean I don't know what it's going to take for that to change but I feel like as long as he's around the Bulls yeah. are going to kind of be this old-fashioned machine that we've seen for the last 25 years look I I'll say this all these owners got one thing in common they love to generate revenue and make money right if you can find a guy that can put a winning product on the floor it equals dollars. And I just think the problem with the current ownership is they're too loyal with Paxson. 
Right. Let's just say what it is. They can't seem to break that bond with Paxson, and that's the issue. If you can get a guy in, because Reinsdorf has always been a baseball first guy. Right. You know, which is why, you know, back in the day, Krause had so much power because he was a basketball mind. So it's like, I'll write the checks and I'll kind of stand back. Krause was the one that did everything. But they needed to get a guy in that I just feel like can just change the basketball culture. Maybe not the culture or the Bulls per se, but I just think our basketball culture is bad. Guys are always on the, you know, injury. You know, always seem to be swinging and missing. You know, always missing out on that big trade. I think a lot, all of that, all of that has to do with the same thing, and it's the front office. Kevin, I had some – Adam and I, a couple episodes back, we kind of discussed potential, like, GMs that maybe we would go after. And there's a yep. couple that – you know, I think there's a couple realistic ones, like a Chad Buchanan from Indiana who's established a culture, has drafted well, has made good trades, you know, with Oladipo, Sabonis. Uh, he's an assistant GM. He wasn't the one calling the shots, but he was a part of that organization and in on those decisions. I think he's a realistic option. But I'm one that wants to kind of swing big. And some of the bigger swings that I've, I'd want to take is I, I find it highly unlikely that he would want to leave where he's at because he's had so much, so much success. But a Rich Paul, a guy that's got all the connections in the league who is really starting to come up as that kind of face for the new generation of NBA agents, NBA players. And we're starting to see organizations move into the – we need to get an agent with connections – as we've seen with Rob Palinka, Bob Myers, and now New York Knicks did that with Leon Rose. Could you see like a Rich Paul or even like a local guy who also has a lot of connections in Mark Bidelstein, Mark Bardostein to kind of influence a lot of those? Because the Bulls' biggest problem over the years has been getting connecting big trades, keeping star players, and signing big yep. agents to come as, to Chicago, an attractive uh, third market city in the country. I honestly got to be honest. I love that idea. I thought I actually uh, when Rich Paul name was thrown out, um, was it for the Knicks initially? Yep, it was. Remember. It was the Knicks. I, I thought it was a great idea. I I think Rich is going to eventually um, peak as an agent, which he's mm -hmm. probably already done with the most recent business deal he did to take over um, uh, the new agency that he, he kind of merged with. I think it's the next evolution for Rich. Rich obviously has a passionate love for the game of basketball. He seems to connect very well with his next generation of talent, and that plays a huge, huge role in drafting, making trades, you know, having those tough conversations um, with, with guys. You know, we saw what happened with the Twins. You know, he got, he got kind of dragged, I guess, for that. But ultimately, he was able to bounce back. Now everybody's talking about only his clients are ones that seem to be secure. Yep. They decide not to play guys, pay guys. Um, but Rich Paul is definitely somebody that I would want – I guess in my front office. Um, and I think it would be, he's better suited in, in a president kind of role yep. because he could just surround himself with the right people that knows how to manage day-to-day -day opportunities, but he could come in and kind of close the deal. Like everybody knows Pat Riley isn't, has never been the one to do the grunt work, but when it was time to make a pitch or time to make a decision, Pat Riley knew exactly how to close a deal and, and walk away with whatever he wanted. Now, obviously, I'm not putting Rich Paul on Pat Riley's level, but when you talk about this current generation of players, nobody connects like Rich. Yeah, play, the players would come. If Rich Paul, I still think that, that that's a great idea for sure, but the possibility of that actually happening, I think, is probably five or six years down the road. Yeah. I think it's, it's more of a timing thing, but there's no doubt in my mind 
he has those connections across the league, and he would get players to come play in the Windy City. There's no question about it. Oh, absolutely. I, and, and he's a Midwest guy, you know, so, you know, he understands just – he understands that Bulls imprint, I'm sure, just as good as anyone else and, and just how important what that, what that would mean for a guy like him. I'm not sure what his goals and ambitions are, but I'm pretty sure if somebody told him, you know, 10 years ago, hey, if you take this path and one day you can run your own NBA franchise – I'm sure it's something that he'd be willing to you know, take care of. We might be looking at five, six years down the road, Rich Paul is the president of operations for the Bulls and LeBron James is the general manager. It's not unrealistic to think. It's not unrealistic. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I see LeBron wanting to be an owner before GM. Yeah. yeah what, what, what about uh, Masai Ujiri or Sam Presti, two guys that are obviously put in that upper echelon of presidents of NBA franchises? That could be a realistic if you're – willing to empty the checkbook for for a guy like that i was about to say i'm not so sure the bulls are willing to pay what it'll take to attract them a side yeah uh, especially with him being the one fresh off the improbable title yeah um but you know with presty presty's an interesting one for me i think what is he trying to prove what i mean it seems like he can't get over that hump and he's determined to just die doing it in okc but i i just wonder is is do we give sam presty a little too much credit i think the, he got he got Kevin Durant. Okay, no brainer. You know what I'm saying. Westbrook was probably more of a gamble because Westbrook wasn't even the best player, you know, uh, at UCLA when he was coming out of college. But when you, when those guys fall on his lap the way that he did and, and he was praised, it's like wow, this guy's great, great uh, talent uh, acquisition kind of guy. But then does he get the same blame? for letting it slip away before, you know, too premature. Right. You know, I, I, so I'm not so sure. I don't know exactly to your point, what does Sam want? You know, does he just want this opportunity to show once and for all that he really is this basketball mind and on a bigger stage with a possibly bigger checkbook and a bigger market that he can get the job done in the East? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I guess that's a conversation that's definitely worth having. But I probably would be more interested in, in somebody younger and more innovative than maybe Sam. Sam kind of comes from that Spurs tree. Yeah. A whole different way of doing things. Yeah, that's an interesting point, too. It's because uh, if you come from that Spurs tree, usually you get the benefit of the doubt no matter exactly. what. I mean, look at Brett Brown in Philly. He should have probably been fired a year oh or two God. ago. Oh when, you're, when, you're, when you're off the Spurs tree, you pretty much get a free pass. But yeah, he yep. has had some good players fall into his lap. And uh, I'm trying to think. Free agent splashes is OKC as far as trades and free agent splashes. Who's the biggest splash they've had under his in his tenure? I mean, we didn't see Paul George come in. That was probably like yeah, they got Paul, Paul George. George. Yeah, but I don't know that they've ever outright made a huge sign unless it was that aging veteran that was coming to be the final piece with OKC. But outside of that, I can't think of any anything. The other big splash was probably just Lauren Billy Donovan. Yeah. I mean, one thing is for sure is the Bulls, they, like you said, you and I are think in agreement. They need to change it from the top down. I mean, yep. I, don't, I don't think you can continue with Boylan next year. Uh, you need to figure out what young pieces you're going to move forward with, who's going to be in control of the president of operations. And like you said, it needs to be one voice. I think if they're willing to do that, because I'm hearing all these rumors of, uh, yeah, Paxson won't be the president, but you're still going to have to talk with him and discuss, and Gar Foreman won't be involved anymore, but you're still going to have to go through Paxson. I think if you go that route, you're not going to get anyone, anyone of substance who's going to be willing to be put in that situation where they're going to have to once again answer to John Paxson. I don't think it's going to happen. Good point. That would be probably like that first-time guy 
that are just looking for an opportunity and they're willing to take the chance of going in. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, from talking about change, let's talk about players that are changing the game and players that have kind of changed the game in the last couple of years. Yep. Um, you know, you look at some of the the bright young stars who have been drafted the last two or three years. Talk about Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, uh, Trey Young, Zion Williamson. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, so Miguel and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago on our podcast, and him and I were both in agreement that we think if you're going to start a, uh, a franchise with one of these players from the last three drafts, we both agreed we would take Luka Doncic. Do you see this any other way? Absolutely not. <laughs> Luka Doncic would be the guy for me. I've had the opportunity this year to probably see him up close three times, um, spend some time with him, talk with him, watch him in practice. Luka Doncic is the real deal. And for people that have, haven't had the opportunity to see him live yet, you just got to understand, this guy is like no hyperbole. He's like the size girth-wise of LeBron. You know, LeBron is known for the big muscles and all of that. But I've seen Luka enter the paint and knock guys off of him, you know, just shed defenders. And I think that's probably one of the most underrated things about his game, but his ability to be unselfish. Watching him in practice, he's a true vocal leader. That I thought was very impressive. I saw him leading the practice that he wasn't participating in one time. Well, not a practice, I should say, maybe a scrimmage. Um, but his ability to score inside and out, like I say, being unselfish. And he's still just so young. And I know he's got so much experience in playing overseas. But to me, he's probably one of the most impressive 21-year-olds I've ever seen. And so for me, it would probably be a no-brainer that I take Luca. And I honestly feel like the trajectory that they were on, Dallas would probably be the new hotbed for talent to run to as free agents. One of the things that I've seen, you know, just by watching Luca is, especially since his rookie years, he came in into the league and he wanted to be the face of the franchise. Like he yes. embraced that and he loves the spotlight. Like he's a guy that wa loves the bright lights, tight games, give me the ball and get out of my way. I'm going to try to create for myself or someone else. And it's rare for guys to come in in the rookie year. I mean, you're seeing it a little bit with John Morant, who's doing that with yep. Memphis. Um, but it takes guys sometimes, you know, a year or two. I mean, you're seeing it with Laurie. Laurie isn't, wasn't a guy that burst on. I mean, he's talented, but he wasn't like Luca, where he's like, give me, this is my team. I love the spotlight. I'm going to change this culture and this franchise around yep. on my back. Luca's that guy. And, you know, honestly, this is what I have to give LeBron credit for. Luca idolizes LeBron. And if you look at it from an international standpoint, he has all those intangibles. He's the unselfish pass for a superstar who can score 30 when need be. You know, he'll step in and take that tough charge. He's a leader, you know, that facilitator. But he also has the charisma. He also has the ability to make you fall in love with him over the camera. Um, he always kind of says the right things. He's obviously passionate about winning. And I just think he's kind of taking that, uh, that imprint or I guess that blueprint that LeBron has kind of laid as the unselfish superstar that doesn't have to be the raging lunatic to win every night. And he's kind of, you know, put his own spin on it and his swagger uh, as Luca the Don. Um, and he's kind of been that guy. He's been impressive since day one. So are the Mavs that we're talking about kind of the next players, but I guess to kind of take that a, a level further, are the Mavs the team of the future? I mean, I know New Orleans is looking really good. Some people yeah. still like Phoenix. Do you see Dallas kind of being that team of the next decade? I can see them being one of those teams of the next decade. I, I just think – with a guy like Luca, who's only going to get better, it's it's just so much easier to build around a guy like Luca. Like right. we're talking about the Bulls, and you talk about Lowry and Zach. They need a perfect point guard. 
right? So it's it's kind of hard. How do you get that perfect point guard that still allows Zach to be Zach and still gets Larry his? But when your superstar is the unselfish one that can also get 30 in, a, you know, in an efficient manner, that just makes everything easier. Obviously, the the team of the future stuff is heavily predicated on Korsinki's health and availability and effectiveness. But I just feel like the fact that he's going to be on his rookie deal and his scale, it just makes it uh, easier from a salary cap standpoint to fill out the roster. He's kind of almost like how Derrick Rose was. We kind of burst into the scene so quick. It's easier to fill out a roster around guys like them. Um, so it'd be interesting to see Carlisle's a good, you know, a great coach to be with there uh, with those guys too. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of the thing that I, I agree with is he is who he is. Like we know who he is. He's gonna yeah. get better, but every facet of his game is already sound. You know, it's not like there's no question marks with him, right? There's question marks with Zion. There's question marks with somebody like Devin Booker and Brandon Ingram. But Luca has the whole game. I mean, the three-point shot might need to get a little bit better, but we know who he is. There's no secrets. Absolutely. And if you look at their team, I know a lot of people argue between Trey Young and Luca, and who has the better team. Tim Hardaway Jr. used to be on the Hawks, and I don't remember anybody singing his praises. You know what I'm saying? He had Dwight Powell before injury, being Bam Adebayo West. I mean, if you really just think about what he's doing around him with a guy that's coming off a torn ACL and supposedly the second-best player on the team, if you ask me consistently, Tim Hardaway Jr. was the second-best player this year. You know what I'm saying? In spots, Seth Curry was coming in being that guy. And I just thought he elevated the play of everybody else around him. And to me, that's just scary because he's going to get better players to elevate. I'm in agreement with it because I, I said last week when we talked about this that, Luca, if you stack up the, all the rosters and put them side by side in the NBA, the Mavs aren't, like, really up there as far as talent-wise, top-to-bottom roster. I mean, they got a lot of guys that Luca's just – bringing the best out of like you said I mean yeah like a Powell who's subbed in there they lost Jackson or they got Jaron Jackson or uh Justin Jackson all right Justin Jackson on there these are guys that were kind of like second round picks like not really uh guys that other teams wanted and they kind of just filtered out through here and Luca's got them flirting with all the way from the three seats to the seven seat in the west uh, in a playoffs in his second year. And that, that's something to be said. What are your thoughts on Zion so far? You know, I know it's been a short kind of sample size mm-hmm. from him, but is it more, are you more impressed by what you've seen or is this kind of what you expected from Zion? I was, I was, I had the chance to be in, uh, in the, in the building for Zion's first NBA game. And I'd say the first thing that surprised me was his ability to elude the offensive charge. Think about a guy his size, his speed, his his explosiveness, where guys can't draw charges on. And not because they're going to get out of the way, but he knows how to make himself small in tight spaces and elude defenders and finish around and around with a soft touch with both hands. He has the confidence to shoot, right? He might not be that great of a shooter, but when you look at somebody like Ben Simmons, he actually has the confidence to put it up. He can take you guys off the dribble. He's unselfish, which is one thing that I thought he's uh, funny to say he's going to probably have to work on because he's made, at times he's a little too unselfish. But I just think um, his biggest thing is just going to be availability. I, I, I think that's just going to be just his biggest question mark moving forward. But when you got a guy like David Griffin down there, I uh, love David Griffin, great mind. He has a lot of great uh, you know, ideas and things that he's looking forward to over the next couple of years. And if they fall in place – the Warriors can be very scary because Zion is just a do-it-all all-star, um, you know, future all-star, I guess you want to say, that makes everything around him better. I mean, the ushers in the building are better 
when Zion is wrong. <laughs> like, seriously, he's that type of guy where his energy is just infectious. Yeah, we were talking about him too recently with him stepping up to make the donation when all this stuff happened. He seems like, just watching him in interviews, he seems like one of those guys that doesn't realize how big of a star he actually is. And, uh, and he's just humble. And I think that rubs off on his teammates in the right way. So it's going to be awesome to watch him kind of uh, his career trajectory unfold as we, uh, as we move along here. Um, let's talk about some, we're going to do a little bit of top five. I know this is uh, a thing a lot of people do and it's not really innovative, um, but times are tough right now. So <laughs> let's do, if you want to go in order, go in order. Um, if you just want to lump them all in together, go ahead. But Kevin, we'll let you give you, give us your top five, uh, all time NBA players. This is tough for me. I don't know that I've ever formed a top five. So when guys gave me the heads up on this, I was just thinking like, if you ask me off the top of my head, Jordan, Kareem and LeBron are my locks. Okay. Those are my top three locks. And that's the order I will put them in. And Jordan, the reason why I have Jordan as the greatest is because Jordan was able to dominate an era, a big man era without a dominant big. You know, if you look around the guys on all those teams, he was able to be a giant slayer, so to speak. Kareem, the most unstoppable player of all time at every level. You know, change rules, still couldn't stop him. So for me, Kareem is just, you know, like that guy. LeBron, best all-around player on the game has ever seen, you know, still elevating guys, making guys money in their post-career. Like, that's how all-around all guy that LeBron is. He's getting guys on coaching staffs. He's getting guys analyst jobs. Um, guys probably getting extra couple years in the NBA on the end of benches because of their championship experience along him. And then that's when it gets tricky for me. Do I go off, you know, career retrospect, who I respect resume-wise, or just go off who I've seen? Well, that, that is kind of the question there, too, because when we say, yeah. like, best players all time, I tend to shade more towards, ta like, talent on the actual court. I know mm -hmm. there's a lot of variables that change, different eras, different team teammates and stuff like that. Or you go on most accomplished. I think you got to try to find that balance, but everybody kind of views that question a little bit differently. Kobe is my second favorite player of all time. But Kobe probably wouldn't be in my top five, respectfully. He'd be in my top 10, but not my top five. So for me, I start looking at guys like who I think is the most overlooked player of all time, and that's Tim Duncan. You know, where does Tim Duncan fall? Then you look at Magic Johnson, you know, Larry Bird, where those guys fall. Then you got your Will Chamberlain. So for me, I'd probably go – the researcher in me wants to say Will Chamberlain because okay. there's nothing I can ever look up. He's a, he's a statistical guy. He's just a statistical guy. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not a big statistical guy. I think stats are for losers. You know, okay. the, yep. the game's over. The losers look at the stats to see what goes wrong. The winners have good jokes about a moment or playing the game, <laughs> and they're moving on. So I think, I think, you know, you're trying to make sense of what happened when it comes to numbers. But I don't think you could ever make sense of Will Chamberlain. So for me, I'd probably have Will four. Okay. Um, and then five, man, five is tough. Shaq is probably the most dominant player I've ever watched. Wait, is Shaq, Mo is Shaq more dominant? Everybody always says he's the most dominant player ever. We didn't obviously get to everybody, didn't get to see everybody play. Yeah. Was Shaq more dominant than Wilt? Here's the thing about Shaq that I think a lot of people, we just don't take you know, into consideration. Shaq and Kobe had to share a lot. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, both of these guys, look at the scoring that they did. They played eight years together. Shaq had a four-year head start in basketball on Kobe, and Kobe passing the scoring like the moment he retired. Right. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, 
you know, Will didn't always have that. I know he played with Jerry West, you know, for, you know, a short stint with the Lakers, things like that. But Will was just Will. Like, when we talk about Will, who else do we talk about on his teams? I don't know if Shaq was able to be this guy to take as many shots as Wilt did his whole career that he wouldn't have the same gaudy numbers. I just think Shaq, you know, which is he was larger in life and he was able to do a lot of things that Wilt had the opportunity to do off the floor that maybe Wilt would have done and maybe his numbers would have been a little skewed. So that's why it's tough for me because I don't think I've ever seen anybody more dominant than Shaq, if that makes sense. But I still would have Wilt four. Okay. And, and then five, man, I might go Magic. Yeah. I just, to be a 6'9 point guard, to be able to win from, you know, his rookie year to the end, the effect that he had on a game of basketball overall, I just think it's something that you can never overlook. It's just tough because he was a teammate with the guy that's number two on my list. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like I always give Kareem the edge because he also won in Milwaukee. You know, he didn't just win in L.A. He right. won in Milwaukee too. He won in college, high school. Like, he, he did it everywhere. He is who he is. But, you know, it's tough for me. You know, four and five, man, I probably had to really sit around and do some true soul searching before I was comfortable, <laughs> like, tweeting it and pinning it and saying, this is my top five all time. Um, but I do think Duncan deserves a lot more credit from a guy that won from first when he entered the league to when he finished. And he's up there with those Magics and Shaqs and Kobe's of the world to me. For sure. Okay, well, why don't you give us your, your five, and then I'll, I'll round it out. Yeah, Kev, I think you and I are kind of in agreement. I had uh, Jordan – First, I mean, he's just – it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, I know a lot of people talk LeBron, Jordan. But for me, Jordan, no one won a title because of Jordan. Look at how many guys didn't win titles because of Jordan. Right. You got Barkley, Malone, Stockton, Ewing, Reggie Miller, Sean Kemp. Uh, I think it was like 40% of the dream team didn't win yeah. titles because of Michael Jordan. Uh, so, and that was the difference for me because so many guys won titles on LeBron's watch. I mean, you got, you got Steph, KD, right. uh, you know, Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, Kawhi. I mean, there were so many guys that won. I mean, LeBron's great, uh, you know, no doubt, but Jordan just shut the door on everyone and he was just an assassin. So I think that's what kind of, and he did it, like you said, what was one of my points in a big man era. I mean, it was an era where it was so much harder to score with all the hand yep. checking. It was predicated around guys like David Robinson, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon, uh, Patrick Ewing. It was created around those big guys, and he was uh, small amongst those guys, and he had to go through those guys and win. Two was Kareem. I mean, just the numbers and what he was doing, like you said, what was it put me over the edge was he did it on his own in Milwaukee, and then he came over and did it with the Showtime Lakers as well. And just the numbers, I mean, six-time MVP, two-time finals MVP, 19-time All-Star, six-time champ. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit because he was a big man. I he think doesn't. When people look back on, like, top fives, it's all yeah. Jordan, LeBron, you know, Kobe. Those are – because everyone loves the guard. Everyone loves the face, you know. The big man isn't really the sexier type of pick. But Kareem, I mean, he did the work, and, and he, he's got all the numbers to back it up. And then, obviously, LeBron playing in eight consecutive finals is just ridiculous in this, right. this era. Um, I know he's got a three and six finals record, but that to me, what kind of puts the blemish on it for me with LeBron and why he's not top two is it, that 2011 finals is just yeah. one of those black marks that we've never seen an all-time great have that sort of meltdown in, on that type of stage. I agree I mean, with you. I agree like that is one of the black marks on his career. I don't think it will ever let, let him live it down. He 
kind of helped himself out beating the 2016 Warriors and his longevity. I mean, the fact that he's doing what he's doing, he has a chance to hopefully compete for a title in his 17th season. I mean, there is no one like LeBron as far as the longevity that we're seeing him put on. Let, then, me, inter- let me interject real quick because you guys are both Michael one. What, is there anything LeBron could do to surpass it or is, is, the, is the book closed at this point? If he oh wins, if he wins, if LeBron wins, let's say if he wins three more titles, or is there anything he could do to surpass Michael at this point, or is, is the book closed? You know, it's tough. Um, I used to always say the book is closed, but I mean, I don't know. I, if LeBron is winning championships in his 20 year 21, and yeah, I mean, that's something you definitely have to consider. Right. I do think it's a little ambitious and unfair to even ask LeBron to have to do that to pass Mike, if, I, right. if I'm making sense. Yeah. So for me, you know, I'll say TBD. Okay. Um, LeBron win a title with three different franchises that has to play a role. You know right. what I'm saying? I guess. But Kawhi could also win a title with three different franchises. Yeah. He's not gonna get he's not gonna get thrown up in a conversation. So it's one of the things you gotta really consider. I think it'll be hard for me though, because I just I just see Kareem being one B. So yeah. you gotta jump two guys, you know. That, that's how I see it too. I think the book's kind of closed on it. Like you said, if it take, if it's unless something so, so drastic to where LeBron, like you said, pulls off like three in a row and he's winning titles in his 22nd yep. season, you know, uh, then like you said, you obviously got to consider it, but that's a long shot. Number four, I got magic. It's hard to think of the NBA without thinking of magic Johnson. I think, I mean, I know his career was cut short, but look at what he did in that career. I mean, five-time champion, his rookie year, imagine being a rookie. Imagine like, a Trey Young, you're in the NBA Finals, your star player goes out, and you're asking like a Trey Young, you got to win game seven of the NBA Finals for us over Julius Irving and, and that Sixer team with Moses Malone. That's what Magic did. Magic did that in his rookie year. Yep. That, that's incredible to me uh, that he was able to do that. Went to nine finals too uh, and still had a winning record. I mean, so Magic, it's hard for me to leave him out. And like you, I, I had a tough time with this number five. It was like you have Bill Russell winning like 11 titles. I mean, it's hard to leave him out of it. You have you know, Wilt Chamberlain putting up ridiculous stats. You throw in Kobe, who won five titles with two different teams. You have Shaq, the greatest force in the league. But to me, I had to go with Wilt. It's hard for me to just kind of overlook what he was able to do, like you said. Um, but again, that number five can change on uh, – whatever day I'm feeling, you know, it's like you said, Tim Duncan's one of those guys that I don't think gets the credit he deserves because he wasn't like a charismatic guy. He was very serious. Didn't like the, the promotion of himself or, you know, the spurs out there. Like he was a very quiet, subdued guy. I think he, if he was more outspoken outlandish, you would probably put Duncan in there, but a lot of people just overlook him because of his kind of nature, a way he went about things. So Adam, what, what were you, what was yours? Yeah, I think this is – so it's tough, right? I think you can generally typically boil it down to maybe like seven, eight, nine players, and you kind of go from there. Uh, but for me – and also, too, the thing I try to remember is I didn't get a chance to see every every one of these players play, right? Yeah. Like, I was born in 91. I didn't get to see Kareem's prime. I didn't even get to see Jordan's prime. I was six when he won his last championship. So I'm just going back, watching YouTube highlights, renting old DVDs, whatever I can. You try to collect and listen to the stories, talk to all the minds you respect and kind of go from there. Um, so for me, in my honest opinion, just with all that, all that considered, I think LeBron uh, is the best player that I've ever seen. I think he's the best player of all time. I think he's the most complete 
all-around talent the game's ever seen. Um, basketball, at the end of the day, is a team sport, and there's so many different variables. I know a lot's made about his three and six finals record. I think that's a little bit overstated. I don't think there's ever been a player that has elevated the players around him to the level that LeBron James has. Um, I think some of the finals losses, he was uh, a big underdog. I mean, he played against those two Warriors teams that had potentially four Hall of Famers. Uh, he led that team in 2007 to the finals, and they lost. Like, I don't feel like that, sh- that finals loss, it counts, but when you look at the bigger picture, I mean, he was up against a pretty tall task. Um, I'm going to go with Jordan at two. Uh, I think he's the second best all-around player ever. I don't think he was as good of a passer uh, or rebounder as LeBron. Uh, I know he was on more all-defensive first NBA teams than LeBron. I think he had nine first-team all-defenses. I think LeBron only has five. Um, But I think in in today's day and age, being able to be flexible in guard one through five – I don't know if Michael and Kevin, you could probably speak of this a little bit more. Was Michael, as far as, was there a lot of switching going on back then? Was Michael matching up with threes, fours, sometimes? I think it's over. LeBron doesn't check fives, but I think LeBron's held his own against fours. Yeah, I, I think the game, the game was just played different back then where you guarded, you guarded your who, guy. Yeah. You guarded your guy. And if you could not guard your guy, you was going to get put on the island until somebody else was able to step up. I just think Mike was able to just expend – the thing about Michael Jordan is that people got to realize he was able to consistently expend the same amount of energy on both ends of the floor. Yes. Night in and night out. Right. He didn't, he didn't take nights off. And I just think that's probably why so many people, it was like, oh, yeah, well, we know what he's bringing. It's never a question in our mind that he's going to get 30. <laughs> he's going to stop the best wing guy on the other team. And he's going to do his best to get a win. And so I just think it was just like one of those things where he was more polished coming in. And, and he was able to just kind of go from there coming out of North Carolina and just run with it. And how many times do you see guys where, like, especially today, where Kawhi will – we know he's the best player on both ends. He's good offensively, great defensively. But how many times do you see Kawhi not guard the best player until maybe, like, the fourth quarter? Well, he, well I, will, I will say this. Like Jordan, Kawhi has that luxury now with Paul George. When Scotty, oh, yeah. when Scotty became that guy, oh, they was able to do it. The '91 Finals, people gotta remember Scotty Pippen matched up with Magic. Yep. that's what changed everything. The Bulls lost their first game, and they put Scotty on Magic, and it just shut everything down that the Lakers wanted to do. Once Scotty became equal footing as a defender with with Jordan, that's what kind of made those guys lights out. That's why I can't wait to see the doc. So a lot of people, I think a lot of people are getting game more respect for Scotty as well. Yeah, I hope they do too, because he's one of my favorite players ever. And I think it was the 90, the season Jordan retired was at 93, 94. Scotty finished third in MVP voting, I believe. But I think that's what, I'll finish my top five, but I think that's what made those Bulls teams so great above everything else is their defense. And then when they added Rodman into the fold, I mean, you're talking about maybe three of the top, I don't know, 10, 15. Is Dennis Rodman maybe like a top 15 defensive player all time? Oh, absolutely. Maybe top 10. Maybe like, top 10, right? That's, yeah. That's a guy that could guard every position before it was involved to do it. Right. Yeah. 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 So he was like Draymond kind of before, before Draymond. Because yeah, Dennis is only, he's not that tall. Right. He's like oh. seven, six, eight. You know, they might have said 16 when he played. There's no way he's 16. All right. So I went with Chamberlain at three. Uh, I think just the most physically imposing dominant force the game's ever seen. Okay. Didn't get a chance to see him, obviously, but I mean, the career averages of 30 points, 23 rebounds, uh, scored 100 points in a game, averaged 50 points and 25 rebounds in a season. 
I don't really care if he was playing against smaller competition. Um, I just think players like him don't grow on trees. And I think if you put him in any single era, uh, he would still dominate. I'm going to go Kareem at four. Uh, so I think up until this point, we pretty much all agree on those four. I'm not going to bore you guys with any more Kareem statistics. The most accomplished player at probably all three levels um, in the history of the sport. And then at five, I could have went anyway with this thing. Uh, maybe a little bit of bias here just kind of because I watched him more than any player in NBA history. I went with Kobe. I think the most skilled talent I've ever seen. Um, and just at his size, what he was able to do on the offensive and defensive end, uh, the 81-point games, the the 62 and three quarters. Um, so at, at his size, I think he's the closest thing we've seen to Jordan. But I also could have went Duncan, who I gave strong consideration to. I don't think he gets enough love. I could have went Shaq, and I could have went Magic. So I think top maybe six, eight players, I feel like we're all kind of in agreement, maybe just a different order. Is there anybody else that we maybe forgot or didn't mention? No, I don't think there was. Uh, I think we kind of hit, like, you know, you got Shaq, Duncan. I wanted to ask you, Kevin, I mean, when we do these lists, we always look, uh, you know, in the past, and and then obviously you input LeBron in there. Are there some guys that maybe that are that are playing right now, in their prime right now, that you could see, you know, 10 years down the line be an argument to be put into the top five? Like, is it KD, Kawhi? Yeah. Are those guys potentially – uh, still there to be in that top five discussion? I think KD is the number one answer to that. Um, depending on what happens with the Warriors, Steph can eventually enter it um, just because he's off to such a fast start. But I think KD is the guy. I mean, yeah. if KD can overcome an Achilles injury and be Dirk. Yep. Seven-footer with a wetter that ain't that athletic. <laughs> I mean, that would mean he that, – see, that's the one thing also about Jordan, not to keep bringing him up. He had two careers. He had come fly with me, Mike. And then he had come right over here to my spot, and you're still not going to stop me, Mike. Well, he wasn't above the rim anymore. So if Kevin Durant can uh, figure out a way to do that, I think he'll still shoot up the, the scoring list. Unfortunately, now he's had two basketball years taken away from him because he had mm -hmm. the foot injury in the past, and now this. But Kevin Durant can enter that conversation just because he's so good. Um, them not winning that third title hurts, though. So he's going to have to win a couple more. Um, me and Isaiah Thomas talk often just about legacy and people, you know, how people look at guys' legacy. And I think if you don't have at least three titles, you don't even get in the conversation. Yep. Right. Everybody <laughs> we discuss has at least three titles. And before LeBron had that title with the Cavs, he needed a third title. And that's why him beating that Cat, that Warriors team actually propelled him even more, you know, even higher um, because it was such a big deal. But I can see Durant – I can see Durant entering that career, you know, if all goes well in his recovery. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of my thing, too, is, like, as, as I was mentioning, a lot's made about the finals losses. But in a way, if you, if you bring a, a, a team to the finals, you don't have a good, you know, roster around you, that's got to count for something, no? Or, I mean, is a loss a loss? Am I, just trying to, am I just trying to make a case for my guy here? Like LeBron, he has six finals losses, right? But, I mean, right. he wasn't the first one. I mean, they, they were – Here's the, problem. Here's the problem with LeBron, not to cut you off. So I, I've had the, the honor of being in the pleasure of I mean, in the presence for all eight, you know, that he did in a row. Right. The problem with LeBron is if we're playing golf, you only get one mulligan. So is the mulligan going to be the very first one 
Is the mulligan going to be when he got swept by the Warriors? Is the mulligan going to be the first time against the Warriors when the guys were hurt? Is the mulligan going to be the 2011 because they just came together? And I think that that's what ended up happening. At some point, what hurt me, because I, I mean, everybody knows I'm not the biggest LeBron guy, but I truly respect LeBron. Right. But what hurt me about a guy who's covered it all and is going to be expected to tell, you know, tell my take on his legacy down the line is that he didn't get one win. Um, against the Warriors that year. The year that, you know, the whole J.R. Smith fiasco. The second the, the day, second year versus Kate with the KD Warriors, the, right? The second yeah. KD Warriors. Yeah. At the end of the day, everybody's going to be like, oh, J.R., they had five more minutes. Oh, yeah. He was, he was playing so great. I thought that was the moment. That was his Iverson moment. Yeah, he scored. He had 50. What did he finish? He finished over 50 in that game, he, right? He yeah, had 50 that game. Yeah. But I, that was his Iverson moment where it was like, there's no way you're supposed to beat this Warriors team and you don't get a game. But see, the thing about it is they have swept the East like the Warriors swept the West. So it was almost like, well, we can't throw it out the window now because you did the exact same thing they did. You got to at least get a win. And so I think that's what hurts LeBron when people brings up the three and six. Um, yeah, it's somewhat, it, it's somewhat unfair. It and, is, but and before we move on, you know, I, the one thing about LeBron, too, is, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, he was against the Warriors. They were stacked. But it's like, you know, LeBron, you kind of started the, the system of, you know, stacking teams. I mean, we're all in the player mobility. And, I, I you know, if you want to go somewhere, go somewhere. I don't care about that. But you started that era in the NBA of, all right, Wade, Bosh, you're coming with me. We're going to Miami. You had the st that stack team that yeah. first year, and you lost to a team with one star. You can't tell me Dirk, he, that no oh, other yeah. player so, on that team, Dirk took down a super team. So you can't tell me it wasn't impossible. Well, so here's Dirk, the thing. He never makes – he never states that case and makes that excuse. He takes his losses on the chin. Though. Oh, I think yeah, that, yeah. That's the thing with him. LeBron's never publicly came out and said, oh, well, they have four future potential Hall of Famers on their team. I think he takes his L's on the chin like a man, or does he not? Somewhat. There is that one. The first time they lost to the, the Warriors, yeah. the distinct comment that I remember him making was, they said, LeBron, what was the difference between this team and last year? And he said, Kevin Durant. Yeah. But, yeah. The, but see, that's supposed to be the guy you X out, LeBron. Right, right. You know, so it's kind of, it's tough. It's not fair. But when you're splitting hairs about the greatest of all time, you got to find things yep. to split hairs with. And so right. it's, it's not fair. But when you're blessed to be in that position, man, if somebody told me I was the first, second, or third greatest or something ever, yeah, whatever, man. You know, whatever. I'll take right. it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's uh, – I mean, we could probably go on that for the rest of the night if we had to. Um, so we do this. We started this little game called Name Drop Numbers where basically we give out some credentials, uh, some statistics of a uh, blast, from the blast from the past players, um, and we try to kind of figure out who they are. So Miguel and I each have two uh, former NBA players for you. So I'm going to give you a couple stats, and uh, you're going to try to guess uh, who the guy is. Cool? Yep. All right. So I'll go first, and Miguel will just alternate. So the first guy, uh, so he was a guard, uh, eighth overall pick. And don't be using your computer over there. Eighth oh, overall man. pick in the 2003 draft by uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. He played Wait, eight, eighth overall pick in the 2003 NBA draft by Milwaukee. Okay. Eight NBA seasons. Okay. 2003-2004 all-rookie team. I know who this is. He played for so Milwaukee, Toronto, Indiana, San Antonio. Career averages of 11 points and six assists. Oh, I don't know who this is. Um, 
So this is my time to guess, right? Yeah, so he was a guard, eighth overall pick in 2003 by Milwaukee. Is it Michael Red? Nah. You want one more? The score averages threw me off. <laughs> he went uh, to Texas. He went to Texas. Texas. Oh. Guard. Yeah, there you go. Wow, that's TJ Ford, huh? He was one of my all-time favorite uh, college players for sure, but he uh, he didn't pan out in the NBA as, as well as I hope. Nah. Well, he had the injury. He uh, did. In Atlanta. I never forget I was at that game and he got hurt. Yeah. All right, so one of my guys, uh, you should probably be able to get this. Uh, he played 19 seasons in the NBA, won NBA Sixth Man of the Year in 2009, averaging about 19 points a game that year. Uh, currently, he's seventh on the most NBA three-point field goals in NBA history made. And he was a 2011 NBA champ, scored 27 in 34 minutes in the series clincher of game six of the finals that year of 2011. This is tricky. We're uh, putting the researcher on the spot, man. Nah, this, is, this is tricky because <laughs> I, I, I had the name that I was going with and now I want to switch because the three-point made list, the two guys I'm thinking about might both be on it. If you need us to re- reiterate or re- recite some of these stats, man. Okay, say the first, first two stats again. He played 19 seasons in the, in the NBA. So the 19 oh, and, okay. he, and he won NBA Sixth Man of the Year in 09. Man, he played 19 years? Is that Jason I know. Terry? I, yep, you got it. Jason <laughs> Terry played 19 years? Wow. I, I know. When I looked, up, when I looked it up, because I was looking at, you know, some of the best role players, and Jason Terry is one of those guys that is the ultimate role player. And I looked, I was like, 19 years in the NBA? Uh, I mean, and plus, I mean, he's one of those guys that he, you bring in and you don't mind giving him, like, a game-winning shot, like, at all. Yeah, I think. So he was probably the second best player in that 2011 Mavs team, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah, bravado yeah. and his swag just made right. it. All right. We got one more for you. Um, all right. So a center. He was a center slash power forward uh, undrafted in 1998. Um, played his first two seasons with the Hornets. Also played for the Bulls and the Kings. Two-time All-Star. Uh, 11.7 rebounds per game. Career averages. You went to Purdue. Oof, that didn't even really help. Uh, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was gonna be the giveaway, so I left it out at first. But uh yeah, center power forward, Purdue, drafted by the Hornets, or undrafted, undrafted, excuse me, but played with the Hornets for his first two years. Two time all star in two thousand three, two thousand four. I will say Bulls fans love him. Bulls fans love him. He's one of those like gritty type guys that we always remember. That's tough. Being undrafted, that's tough. That is tough. I'm, make, I'm making it a little, little difficult on you. No, that's all right. 98, I'm trying to think. Was he an all-star with the Bulls? No, no way. He was an all-star in 03, 04. I don't think he was on the Bulls at that nah, point, though. No, he was not with the Bulls that year. He was terrible. Um, he was in that Bulls-Celtics seven-game, like, wild no series. No way. I know who you guys are. Um, the guard? No, center. Oh, center, center. Center forward. Okay, now you got to be stumped if he's an all-star. See, I feel like this would have been a little bit easier if, we, if you had these stats in front of you. You're trying to remember all this. I'll give you yeah, one clue. I'll give you one clue. He went at Shaq one time. That was an all-star. That's the part that's throwing me off. You wore Brad Miller? No. Yeah, yeah. Brad Miller. Brad Miller was undrafted? <laughs> yeah. Wow. You yeah, know, we love Brad. Brad was great. 
just a couple of years. So I know Brad, I, was, Brad was probably an all-star with Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he would have been good in today's game. Oh, his absolutely. size. His yeah. ability to stretch the floor too. Right. Yeah. 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 That is crazy. He wouldn't have made an all-star team, but he would have no. been effective. Yeah, yeah. He'd been effective. All right, I got uh, one last one. Uh, he's a two-time NBA champion with the Lakers uh, on Kobe's second three-peat. He was the sixth man of the year in 2011. Drafted fourth by the Clips in the 99 draft. Uh, his career averages were about a little over 13 points a game and eight and a half rebounds a game. Hmm. He was almost say, Kobe Lakers. Wait, I say the first that again? Two, two-time NBA champion with uh, Kobe Lakers. Kobe and Gasol Lakers. Those were... And he was undrafted? Uh, no, he was drafted number four by the Clips in 99. Oh, wow. Oh, so that's Lamar Odom? Yep. Yeah, that's Lamar Odom. 99, 99 Clips gave it away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I figured it would. Uh, but yeah, we, that's something we like to do. We, last week we did a little bit. I brought up like Ben Gordon, you know, and, you know, the stats that he had. Um, and I know Adam brought up a couple last week. So we just kind of like there's so all these guys are guys you don't really typically remember when because everyone like thinks LeBron, Jordan, all those yeah, you know, classic yeah. superstars. But these guys are uh, reasons why a lot of these guys won titles. Yeah, I think the big thing too when you look at guys like this is just Brad Miller played 16 seat like 16 NBA seasons. That's a long productive career. I mean, most That's guys long. average average run for a player has got to be two no more than two three years i'd guess but you think about someone that's just that gets forgotten like brad miller who's a two-time all-star played 16 seasons so it's kind of fun to bring up some of these names that we often forget about for sure oh yeah all right so. kevin before we let you go man i know that they just released that the last dance doc is moving up we finally got something to talk about <laughs> and like watch what are you most looking forward to seeing in the doc i'm honestly just looking most forward to reliving it no, I'm not. it's it's really just focused on the '98 season, and I was a when I was a that means '97, '98. So I was a sophomore in high school. Um, so that's that that's gonna probably just bring back so many memories of being in Chicago, but also just learning so many things that I didn't know anything about when it came to that team. You know, when you're a kid and you're growing up in the midst of all of that, all you know is winning. You know, at the end of the day, it's just like. Well, we're going to win. The question is about how many and how many games we're going to take. Um, and so, and, and I will say uh, for the Warrior fans out there, it was not the same. Um, if you go back and look, and I think a lot of people forget because Jordan won so much, they weren't always favored either. I remember thinking when we, when we played the Lakers, that we're going to beat the, um, the Lakers. You know, you got to remember when they played uh, the Suns, Barkley was the MVP that year. You know, those, those teams were, were, were really good. Stockton and Malone, come on, that's arguably the best duo of all time. They also won just as many games as the Bulls teams. And Seattle, Seattle was probably one of the reasons why the Bulls ended up winning 72 games because they won like 67 themselves that year. Wow. So those, those teams were being pushed to the brink. And arguably, they have a, sometimes a better duo depending on, you know, what you prefer. You know, if you're looking at Stockton as one of the greatest point guards of all time and Carl Malone's one of the greatest – uh, pound fours of all time, depending on what you think about Scotty, you might go back and look like, wait a minute, now how do they beat this team? And so yeah. I just I just think a lot of revisionist history um, has taken place because the further we get away from things, the more we forget. So I'm just kind of looking back to the memories, just going back and looking throughout that last season. And Bulls fans were that, – that last go-round, you were kind of always on edge as to whether or not the Bulls are going to stay together. 
So it'd be also interesting to see how they portray the, the team ending. Because I remember thinking, if not for the lockout, they'd have stayed together. But I don't know. You know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Kevin, also, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're working on something right now. Yeah. You're writing a book. What, what's that book about? Yeah, man, I just finished the book. It's called Bought or Lie. Um, it should be out uh, online at Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble's online retailers fairly soon. Um, but basically, I had the opportunity of sitting down with 10 basketball legends um, and just get to talk to them about a defining moment in their career. So everybody from uh, Tina Thompson, you know, the first ever draft pick of the WBA who won four titles, Shaq, Isaiah, Vince Carter on a dunk contest, um, Sam Mitchell coaching perspective, uh, Steve Smith, Dennis Scott. Um, I even got Rip Hamilton to discuss uh, the D-Rose uh, ACL game and just his perspective on how that whole season you know, came to a head. And Candace Parker, um, Lynn Turpin as, to do the forward. So basically every, every player has their own chapter in the book and it's just me sitting down talking to them. Uh, it's more so about the game, like a particular game, but I give you a lot of background, just who they were as a player, and then we get up to that game. And then once we get to the game, we're just walking through it. And you you might remember some of those games for different reasons or remember reading about them, and I just get that firsthand account. Um, speaking of the Bulls, you know, Dennis Scott talks about beating the Bulls in 95, you know, a team that's often forgotten because they got swept in the finals, so they don't seem to get that credit. Right. Um, you know, it's just it's stuff like that. Um, Steve Smith talking about, you know, the Blazers trading him after telling him they never would. And he goes back with San Antonio. He sets a three-point record on him that still stands today. You know, Chris Webber, another great story in the book. The Kings traded him to Philly, and they played him the next day. Imagine that happening today. Jeez, right. Today's yeah. basketball. <laughs> but it's some of those things that we just kind of forget because we didn't have social media. We didn't have all the niche networks to really harp on things and debate topics. We don't remember exactly how a lot of these stories unfolded. So, you know, something out there for everybody, all ages, you know, all the way back from 1990 story for Isaiah to Sam Mitchell discussing beating that 2016 Warriors team that Wolves handed them their ninth loss and just talk about what that experience was like beating that juggernaut. So, you know, it should be in stores fairly soon. I'm looking forward, you know, to it being out and excited everybody to finally just dive into those stories. For sure, man. Well, we're looking forward to that as well. It's going to be cool to kind of hear some of those stories that are forgotten for sure. Um, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted on the release date of that. Um, and I know I'm looking forward to checking that out. I'm sure Miguel is as well. But we just wanted to thank you again for joining us. Um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks for having me, guys.